0: Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you
1: so much for taking the time to share a little bit of uh, your day with us here on the podcast. Uh, I appreciate those of you who this might be the first time you've ever listened to an episode of cool things entrepreneurs do. I hope you'll go backwards and listen to the other about 245 episodes that we have of this show. It still blows me away. I thought I would do 25 of these and it's uh, I'm kind of an addict. I just can't stop. I've interviewed something well over 200 entrepreneurs about the cool things that they do in their business. And what's great about it is it's been like having my own little university. Where I get all these people to be my professor. So if you're new to the show, go back. We have a lot of great episodes. If you're an old timer who's been listening, you might recognize today's guest, as it's one of the few times I've had repeat guests here on the show. And so you'll have to go back and check out her earlier episodes. But, you know, if you really like the show, whether it's your first time or your 244th time, do me a favor. Send me an email. Let me know what you like about the show or jump over to iTunes and leave a review. It just makes my day so much better when people leave new, fresh, happy reviews on iTunes. And also, if you want to be part of our community, we have The Potential Project. Now, those of you who listen for a long time know this used to be called The Cool Things Project, but my business has pivoted, and I'm working so hard now on the study of – The difference, that gap between potential and results, and so I have my brand new keynote and workshop, The Paradox of Potential, and what I found out is the people who are in this group coaching program, that's what we're talking about. How do you get closer to your potential? Because everybody, everybody who's listening right now, we all have super potential in some area that we can go and actually get more done, and yet that's not going to happen by accident, and just knowing you have potential – doesn't necessarily lead you to getting things done. And I bet our guest today, I bet our guest today would totally agree with that. Our guest today is Jill Scheffelbine, and Jill has a brand new book coming out, and as soon as I heard that, I said, "Yeah, you've been on the show before, but you know what? You have to come and tell us all about the new book." So we're going to talk a lot today about strategies uh, that you can use to grow, lead and manage your business because as an entrepreneur, that's one of the problems that we have is we have a lot of ideas, but without strategies and action, we're not going to get stuff done. So, hey, Jill Shufflebine, welcome back to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do.
2: Thank you so much, Time. I'm so excited to be here and to be a repeat guest. Just it kind of rocks. I got to be honest.
1: You know, you're up there with just a few people. I mean, Michael O'Neill, Jessica Pettit, uh, Jerry O'Brien, and and just a couple of others have ever been on the show twice. So you are in a rare league of people who we've invited back to the show. So if you will, kind of remind the listeners who maybe heard you before, kind of who, who are who is Jill Shufflebine and what's your business all about.
2: You know, it's it's amazing to get to share the story of where you started. And I know what you do, Tom, on this podcast and sharing people's journeys really helps people understand where others come from. And me, my journey before entrepreneurship was all in the academic space. So I taught at a university for 11 years. And while I was there, I developed literally hundreds of online classes and programs. So I had the opportunity to play with entrepreneurship on someone else's dime when I was hired to start up a massive online programs office within a university. But that really, I had some consulting going on the side, but really seeing how you can manage a whole enterprise really whet my appetite for it even more. And when I left the academic world in June of 2011, I just dove full steam in to my own business and enterprises and ventures and haven't looked back.
1: Well, that is so, so awesome. So what have you really loved about the last, gosh, what is that? How many years, the last six years of being an entrepreneur?
2: Yeah, it's, it's amazing. What I love about it is You have, and I love the word potential that you just talked a lot about, but you have the potential as an entrepreneur to craft your life in the way you want it. And I mean, in in all honesty, everyone, whether you're working for someone else or not, has that potential to craft your life. But I think, especially as an entrepreneur, if you say, I'm going to design a life where I am working 20 hours a week, 60 hours a week, and I'm going to serve these people and this audience, whatever it is or whatever your goals are, you can build a business and build a life around your potential. And I think that's been the funnest part for me is realizing that it's okay to pivot and shift like you did, Tom. I did that a few years ago in my business. And it's okay to try to figure things out. But surrounding yourself with the right people to help you realize that potential is just so important.
1: Well, and you talk about surrounding yourself with the right people and and designing your life, and it sort of reminds me of one of the things I talk about a lot with my clients and and in my speeches, and that is, you know, part of it is is you have to surround yourself with the right environment. I mean, I one time heard an analogy that, uh, you know, the same goldfish that you win at the the fair is the same thing that's in a koi pond. But when you put it in a little thing, it can only grow to meet its its environment. And yet when you put it in a giant pond, it can become eight or 10 or inches or a foot long. And so being in the right environment allows you to grow. And I think one of the cool things about your story is what you did, gosh, probably two or three years ago, is you decided after leaving academia and having your consulting business, you needed to put yourself in a bigger environment. You needed to be be a small fish in a big pond. And so one of the things you did is you up and moved.
2: I did. I was just thinking as you were telling that that analogy, I'm like, I am no longer the goldfish. I am turning into a koi. I'm so excited.
1: <laughs> Jill, <laughs> but, Jill Shuffle, your new business card, Jill Shuffleboyne, koi. Koi, yeah. That would be a great conversation starter, wouldn't it? If, on your name tag at the next event you go to, just instead of like, you know, speaker, author, consultant, just Jill Shufflebyne, koi.
2: Koi, right, but not C-O-Y. We got to make that one clear.
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be spelled the way the fish spells it.
2: You know, it's it's so interesting because when I was first on your show, one of the things you wanted me to talk about was sharing the journey and the shift of how I transitioned from, you know, small town Kansas, which is where I was born and raised to Phoenix, Arizona area where I went for school, stayed for grad school, and then they hired me as faculty and I did that stuff there. And then at one point in time, in fact, in 2014, so it's been two and a half years now, just saying forget it. I am going to risk everything. I looked at my retirement account, divided it by 12. And I said, if worse comes to worse, and I don't make a single cent, I'm going to move to New York City, have one heck of a year and see how it goes. But two and a half years later, that retirement account has only grown and things are going well. But it was definitely putting myself in a bigger pond to realize that potential. And while I'm still growing, for sure, it's definitely uh, stretched outside that initial goldfish bowl.
1: Well, I think that's awesome. And, and I tell people all the time, I have a great life. I love what I do for a living. It, it's, you know, it hadn't always been easy. And I made some bad choices along the way that, that limited me. And I had to, I had to crack my way out and find my, my fight my way out. But I will tell you, the only regret that I have is that I never lived in New York City. And, uh, I don't know that I ever will actually live in New York City, but I keep telling my wife once the kids are grown, maybe we'll go like rent an apartment for a month and we'll just go live there for a month. So I can at least check that, check that box off. Cause then I would have no regrets.
2: You know, it just, it's a completely different environment. And for me, I can be walking on a street or sitting at a coffee shop next to someone who has a million plus dollar business on any given day of the week. And I mean, a million dollar plus business is small potatoes here in this city. And it just blows my mind how many people there are that are just audaciously and unapologetically just chasing after their dreams and making them reality here. And that was the environment I needed to put myself in because I think I was being stifled where I was at.
1: Yeah, no, I think you've done a great job. And I think that you have grown from that goldfish into that koi. I've seen that in the time that I've known you. So I, I, I think it's really impressive. And now you're about to release this book that's going to take the world by gangbusters. And the book is called Dynamic Communication, 27 strategies to grow, lead, and manage your business. So tell me about the book.
2: It's for me, it's just finally seeing what I know can help people in a hard paper copy format makes me unbelievably happy. And it makes me even more happy that in doing this process, 27 other people agreed to be interviewed and become a part of this project. Because I truly believe as entrepreneurs, if you are looking at this in a silo, if you are looking at this as what can I do, you are missing the mark. And once you bring other people in there, once you see people as collaborators, not competitors, you start to shift your thinking around a lot of things. And for me, I've always had a passion for education. I think that's very clear in everything I do, but I educate people just not in the traditional classroom way. And I wanted to make the ideas and strategies behind effective communication theory approachable and applicable to people in business, because when you learn these things in school, You regurgitate them for a test, you memorize key terms and things that quite frankly, really don't matter. But I want to take those things, put them in your head and be like, Oh, wait, yeah, I did hear about this, but I never did anything with it and show people how these strategies can actually be applied to change their business trajectory.
1: So, you know, Jill, it's interesting because obviously a lot of our friends through the National Speakers Association and people who are speakers and consultants, a lot of people write a book. But I actually think that a lot of entrepreneurs, no matter what their business is, want to write a book or even should write a book to help position themselves as an expert in their business. And I own part of a company called New Year Publishing. And one of the things New Year Publishing does is help executives write a book, not that it's going to be a New York Times bestseller because their industry might be sort of totally niched, like they're never going to sell more than a handful of copies because it is such a small thing, like maybe you know, used they they're they're an expert in the used car business, or they're the expert in you know the watch business. So this is not something that's going to be necessarily a universal bestseller, but it helps position their company. As an expert. So I have a little bit of knowledge of, of what it takes because I've worked, we've worked with dozens of people through New Year Publishing. And then I myself have published 12 or 13, god it's 13 books with New Year Publishing now. And so the the answer or the question that I have for you is, what's it like to actually put a project like this together? Because I think people who listen, no matter what their businesses think, oh, yeah, I could write a book that would help position me. But what's the, What's it like to actually write it?
2: You know, Tom, I want to take the listeners kind of through a story of different types of publishing just to understand the context, if that's all right with you. Oh,
1: absolutely. Educate away. You are an educator, aren't you?
2: I I can't. It's just in my blood. It's what I do. You can't stop her. She's just going to educate us right now. (laughs) Dropping those education bombs. That's what I do. So I have actually been fortunate enough to publish in multiple different industries. So I have done the academic publishing. In 2009, I had a textbook released with one of the major five academic presses. And that was an experience. I got to know a lot about that type of publishing industry. Uh, Five years later, I did a self-published book solely to fit. As you're talking about, Tom, a very specific niche, and it got me in the door at a Super Bowl event, very long story short, that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. And then this book is the traditionally published commercial press. And the majority of books that are published today are actually self-published or, you know, co-op published with a very uh, boutique publisher, like you know, like what you work with, Tom, or you know, other publishing houses that kind of help entrepreneurs, executives, etc., really get their thought leadership out there. And what I've learned through this is that no matter what modality you do, there's two things that are just absolutely crucial in this process. And number one is even if you're quote-unquote self publishing. If you are not investing in a solid editor, formatter, <laughs> designer, etc., you're an amateur.
1: Absolutely. And in Don't, fact, that's, yeah. that's one of the things we do with, with New Year Publishing is we make sure that people are working with a great editor, maybe even a great ghostwriter, and then also a professional cover designer, the guy who designs all the books for New Year Publishing. That's what he does. He's a business book designer for a big, for a big, press and he designs our books as well. And it's like, there's, there's no way you can half-ass this stuff.
2: No, I mean, and the the problem is most people do. And it, it just baffles me. If you're going to take the time and energy to get your thoughts and your words out on paper, why are you not investing in yourself and dropping the few, maybe more, you know, five to $10,000, whatever it is that you're going to need to drop to make this, not just some self-published kind of piece of crap to be honest into something that actually lends credibility and i'm not saying your ideas aren't good if you don't go this
0: welcome to the cool things entrepreneurs do podcast with your host tom singer in each episode we explore the interesting lives of business leaders entrepreneurs solopreneurs and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit it is time to explore something cool now here is your host tom singer Hello and welcome to another episode of Cool
1: Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for taking the time to share a little bit of uh, your day with us here on the podcast. Uh, I appreciate those of you who this might be the first time you've ever listened to an episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I hope you'll go backwards and listen to the other about 245 episodes that we have of this show. It still blows me away. I thought I would do 25 of these, and its uh, I'm kind of an addict. I just can't stop. I've interviewed something well over 200 entrepreneurs about the cool things that they do in their business, and what's great about it is it's been like having my own little university where I get all these people to be my professor. So if you're new to the show, go back. We have a lot of great episodes. If you're an old timer who's been listening, you might recognize today's guest as it's one of the few times I've had repeat guests here on the show. And so you'll have to go back and check out her earlier episodes. But, you know, if you really like the show, whether it's your first time or your 244th time, do me a favor. Send me an email. Let me know what you like about the show or jump over to iTunes and leave a review. It just makes my day so much better when people leave new, fresh, happy reviews on iTunes. And also, if you want to be part of our community, we have The Potential Project. Now, those of you who listen for a long time know this used to be called The Cool Things Project. But my business has pivoted, and I'm working so hard now on the study of the difference, that gap between – Potential and results, and so I have my brand new keynote and workshop, The Paradox of Potential, and what I found out is the people who are in this group coaching program, that's what we're talking about. How do you get closer to your potential? Because everybody, everybody who's listening right now, we all have super potential in some area that we can go and actually get more done, and yet that's not going to happen by accident, and just knowing you have potential – doesn't necessarily lead you to getting things done. And I bet our guest today, I bet our guest today would totally agree with that. Our guest today is Jill Scheffelbine, and Jill has a brand new book coming out, and as soon as I heard that, I said, "Yeah, you've been on the show before, but you know what? You have to come and tell us all about the new book." So we're going to talk a lot today about strategies uh, that you can use to grow, lead, and manage your business because as an entrepreneur, that's one of the problems that we have is we have a lot of ideas, but without strategies and action, we're not going to get stuff done. So, hey, Jill Shufflebine, welcome back to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do.
2: Thank you so much, Tim. I'm so excited to be here and to be a repeat guest. Just it kind of rocks. I got to be honest.
1: You know, you're up there with just a few people. I mean, Michael O'Neill, Jessica Pettit, uh, Jerry O'Brien, and and just a couple of others have ever been on the show twice. So you are in a rare league of people who we've invited back to the show. So if you will, kind of remind the listeners who maybe heard you before, kind of who, who are who is Jill Shufflebine and what's your business all about.
2: You know, it's it's amazing to get to share the story of where you started. And I know what you do, Tom, on this podcast and sharing people's journeys really helps people understand where others come from. And me, my journey before Entrepreneurship was all in the academic space. So I taught at a university for 11 years. And while I was there, I developed literally hundreds of online classes and programs. So I had the opportunity to play with entrepreneurship on someone else's dime when I was hired to start up a massive online programs office within a university. But that really, I had some consulting going on the side, but really seeing how you can manage a whole enterprise really whet my appetite for it even more. And when I left the academic world in June of 2011, I just dove full steam in to my own business and enterprises and ventures and haven't looked back.
1: Well, oh, that is so, so awesome. So what have you really loved about the last, gosh, what is that? How many years, the last six years of being an entrepreneur?
2: Yeah, it's it's amazing. What I love about it is You have, and I love the word potential that you just talked a lot about, but you have the potential as an entrepreneur to craft your life in the way you want it. And I mean, in in all honesty, everyone, whether you're working for someone else or not, has that potential to craft your life. But I think, especially as an entrepreneur, if you say, I'm going to design a life where I am working 20 hours a week, 60 hours a week, and I'm going to serve these people and this audience, whatever it is or whatever your goals are, you can build a business and build a life around Your potential. And I think that's been the funnest part for me is realizing that it's okay to pivot and shift like you did, Tom. I did that a few years ago in my business. And it's okay to try to figure things out, but surrounding yourself with the right people to help you realize that potential is just so important.
1: Well, and you talk about surrounding yourself with the right people and and designing your life. And it sort of reminds me of one of the things I talk about a lot with my clients and, and in my speeches. And that is, you know, part of it is, is you have to surround yourself with the right environment. I mean, I one time heard an analogy that, uh, you know, the same goldfish that you win at the, the fair is the same thing that's in a koi pond. But when you put it in a little thing, it can only grow to meet its environment. And yet when you put it in a giant pond, it can become eight or 10 or a f- inches or a foot long. And so being in the right environment allows you to grow. And I think one of the cool things about your story is what you did, gosh, probably two or three years ago, is you decided after leaving academia and having your consulting business, you needed to put yourself in a bigger environment. You needed to be, be a small fish in a big pond. And so one of the things you did is you up and moved.
2: I did. I was just thinking as you were telling that, that analogy, I'm like, I am no longer the goldfish. I am turning into a koi. I'm so excited.
1: <laughs> Jill, <laughs> but, Jill Shuffle, your new business card, Jill Shuffleboin koi. Koi, yeah. That would be a great conversation starter, wouldn't it? If it's on your name tag at the next event you go to, just instead of like, you know, speaker, author, consultant, just Jill Shuffleboyne, koi.
2: Koi, right. But not C-O-Y. We got to make that one clear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Try, it's got to be spelled the way the fish spells it.
2: You know, it's it's so interesting because when I was first on your show, one of the things you wanted me to talk about was sharing the journey and the shift of how I transitioned from, you know, small town Kansas, which is where I was born and raised to Phoenix, Arizona area where I went for school, stayed for grad school, and then they hired me as faculty and I did that stuff there. And then at one point in time, in fact, in 2014, so it's been two and a half years now, just saying forget it. I am going to risk everything. I looked at my retirement account, divided it by 12. And I said, if worse comes to worse, and I don't make a single cent, I'm going to move to New York City, have one heck of a year and see how it goes. But two and a half years later, that retirement account has only grown and things are going well. But it was definitely putting myself in a bigger pond to realize that potential. And while I'm still growing, for sure, it's definitely uh, stretched outside that initial goldfish bowl.
1: Well, I think that's awesome, and and I tell people all the time I have a great life. I love what I do for a living. It, it's you know, it hasn't always been easy, and I made some bad choices along the way that that limited me, and I had to had to crack my way out and find my my fight my way out. But I will tell you, the only regret that I have is that I never lived in New York City, and uh, I don't know that I ever will actually live in New York City. But I keep telling my wife, once the kids are grown, maybe we'll go like rent an apartment for a month and we'll just go live there for a month, so I can at least check that check that box off because then I would have no regrets
2: you know, it just, it's a completely different environment. And for me, I can be walking on a street or sitting at a coffee shop next to someone who has a million plus dollar business on any given day of the week. And I mean, a million dollar plus business is small potatoes here in this city. And it just blows my mind how many people there are that are just audaciously and unapologetically just chasing after their dreams and making them reality here. And that was the environment I needed to put myself in because I think I was being stifled where I was at.
1: Yeah, no, I think you've done a great job, and I think that you have grown from that goldfish into that koi. I've seen that in the time that I've known you, so I, I I think it's really impressive. And now you're about to release this book that's going to take the world by gangbusters, and the book is called Dynamic Communication, 27 Strategies to Grow, Lead, and Manage Your Business. So tell me about the book.
2: It's For me, it's just finally seeing what I know can help people in a hard paper copy format makes me unbelievably happy. And it makes me even more happy that in doing this process, 27 other people agreed to be interviewed and become a part of this project because I truly believe as entrepreneurs, if you are looking at this in a silo, if you are looking at this as what can I do, you are missing the mark. And once you bring other people in there, once you see people as collaborators, not competitors, you start to shift your thinking around a lot of things And for me, I've always had a passion for education. I think that's very clear in everything I do, but I educate people just not in the traditional classroom way. And I wanted to make the ideas and strategies behind effective communication theory approachable and applicable to people in business. Because when you learn these things in school – You regurgitate them for a test, you memorize key terms and things that quite frankly, really don't matter. But I want to take those things, put them in your head and be like, Oh, wait, yeah, I did hear about this, but I never did anything with it and show people how these strategies can actually be applied to change their business trajectory.
1: So, you know, Jill, it's interesting because obviously a lot of our friends through the National Speakers Association and people who are speakers and consultants, a lot of people write a book. But I actually think that a lot of entrepreneurs, no matter what their business is, want to write a book or even should write a book to help position themselves as an expert in their business. And I own part of a company called New Year Publishing. And one of the things New Year Publishing does is help executives write a book, not that it's going to be a New York Times bestseller because their industry might be sort of totally niched. Like they're never going to sell more than a handful of copies because it is such a small thing like maybe, you know, used, they they're they're an expert in the used car business or they're the expert in, you know, the watch business. So this is not something that's going to be necessarily a universal bestseller, but it helps position their company. As an expert. So I have a little bit of knowledge of, of what it takes because I've worked, we've worked with dozens of people through New Year Publishing. And then I myself have published 12 or 13, God, it's 13 books with New Year Publishing now. And so the, the answer or the question that I have for you is, what's it like to actually put a project like this together? Cause I think people who listen, no matter what their business is, think, oh, yeah, I could write a book that would help position me. But what's the, what's it like to actually write it?
2: You know, Tom, I want to take the listeners kind of through a story of different types of publishing, just to understand the context, if that's all right with you. Oh,
1: absolutely. Educate away. You are an educator, aren't you? <laughs>
2: I I can't. It's just in my blood. It's what I do. You can't stop her. She's just going to educate us right now. (laughs) Dropping those education bombs. That's what I do. So I have actually been fortunate enough to publish in multiple different industries. So I have done the academic publishing. In 2009, I had a textbook released with one of the major five academic presses. And that was an experience. I got to know a lot about that type of publishing industry. Uh, Five years later, I did a self-published book solely to fit. It, as you're talking about, Tom, a very specific niche. And it got me in the door at a Super Bowl event, very long story short, that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. And then this book is the Traditionally published commercial press, and the majority of books that are published today are actually self-published or you know co-op published with a very uh, boutique publisher, like you know like what you work with, Tom, or you know other publishing houses that kind of help entrepreneurs, executives, etc., really get their thought leadership out there. And what I've learned through this is that no matter what modality you do, there's two things that are just absolutely crucial in this process. And number one is even if you're quote unquote self-publishing, if you are not investing in a solid editor, formatter, (laughs) designer, etc., you're an amateur.
1: Absolutely. And in fact, that's that's one of the things we do with with New Year Publishing is we make sure that people are working with a great editor, maybe even a great ghostwriter, and then also a professional cover designer, the guy who designs all the books for New Year Publishing, that's what he does. He's a business book designer for a big – for a big press and he designs our books as well and it's like there's there's no way you can half-ass this stuff.
2: No, I mean, and the the problem is most people do. and it it just baffles me. If you're going to take the time and energy to get your thoughts and your words out on paper, why are you not investing in yourself and dropping the few, maybe more, you know, five to ten thousand dollars, whatever it is that you're going to need to drop to make this not just some self-published kind of piece of crap, to be honest, into something that actually lends credibility. And I'm not saying your ideas aren't good if you don't go this route. But the thing is, no matter how good your ideas are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how much potential you have to change the world, without two things, you're not going to be able to do that. And number one is that professional packaging and appearance. It just adds such a level of credibility that you cannot achieve on your own, no matter how talented you are. Which is- which I'm going to jump in and yeah. say is
1: why we founded New Year Publishing because we found a lot of people were doing things not well. And we had come up with what we had done with my first book and other stuff with some of the answers to making sure it looked like it was a really solid product. And uh so what we did is that and I had somebody come to me and they say, well, I don't want to spend the money on a cover designer. You know, my daughter is an artist and the book, it didn't look like a book cover. It looked like, you know, it looked like a commercial for, you know. Pantyhose or something. It was like somebody running through the forest and it was like, whoa, 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 that's not a business book cover. That's a beautiful piece of art, but it doesn't say professionalism. And so what you're talking about is so true because that's why we started the company.
2: it it just it makes all the difference in the world we make first impressions so quickly and that is not just about appearance it's about every piece of collateral you ever put out online offline etc so that was number one number two is no matter what you're doing with your book do not just do it for the sake of doing it have a strategic plan behind it whether that is getting in the door somewhere or whether that is sales for my self-published book The only reason, only reason I wrote it is because I was at a Super Bowl networking event in New Orleans in 2013, and I saw speakers at that event. And as a speaker, I always watch other speakers, and most of them were not that good. So I go up to the organizer, this big, huge former ex-linebacker dude, and I said, what's going to take for me to be on that stage next year in New York? And he said, Well, who are you and why are you here? I said, Oh, you know, here's who I am. I I was just interviewed on this radio show, going to be interviewed on this TV show later tonight about communication and sport, blah, blah, blah. He goes, Oh, that's great. That makes sense. Do you have a book? And I said, Yeah, I have a textbook. It's been out since 2009. It's, you know, sold over a million copies, blah, 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 all these things. He goes, I don't care about your textbook. Do you have a book in this? (laughs) And I looked at him and I said, No, but I can within the month. Is that what you need to get me qualified to get on your stage? And he goes, Yeah, right. You do that. You'll be there in New York so sure enough I put out a book within a month and I spoke in New York the next year God, that great, was my goal what,
1: what a great story is that what it takes to get it you want a book I'll get you a book
2: right it, to me you know I know for some people writing is complicated or I actually think they make it more complicated than it needs to be but for me writing a book was not the <laughs> problem so that book the self-published thing became okay this is my credibility piece and calling card to get into this gig which lent itself to other gigs and I made you know five figures multiple times over because I have this book, but my book sales, I sold maybe like two or 300 of them. That was never the goal with the book. But for some people, and I'd say actually for most, one of the big reasons to write it is you want to sell it. And it's not a write it or build it and they will come type of a project. It is you need to have a strategic plan in place. And in fact, if you want to get published with a traditional commercial press, like you know this book that I have coming out this month is, you have to, in your Proposal to them, create a marketing plan that demonstrates you know how to move at least 10,000 copies within the first year. So understanding the goal for the book, in addition to having it professionally designed, curated, edited, those are the two things that no matter what you do, get those in your head fast.
1: So now you've schooled us a little. Tell us about your process of getting this
2: book done. (laughs) My process is kind of funny, Tom. I screwed up a lot along (laughs) the way, and I screwed up because when I first made this proposal, uh, full timeline, just so people are aware of what it takes to get into a, you know, a publishing house with significant distribution capacity. It's, I submitted, I started writing the proposal in October of 15. I submitted it shortly thereafter. It was about 50 pages, two chapters, full table of contents fleshed out, 10, 12 page marketing plan, et cetera. It wasn't until April of 2016 that I got the initial contract offer negotiated for two and a half months back and forth, started it in June, mid-June in earnest, and had to have my full manuscript done by October 1st. So you can do the math. It's not that long of a period. (laughs) July 1st, my first uh, additional chapter was due to make sure that we all agreed and we're on the same page. And I turned it in and got the feedback back. And my publisher said, it's good, but be careful. It's borderline too academic. And I'm afraid if you go any further, we're going to lose readers. And I sat with that feedback for a while because, I mean, that is my background. I came from an academic <laughs> I was, background. I was just going to
1: say, nothing like telling a college professor, you're too professor-y.
2: Right. And I mean, and what's funny is I am one of the furthest things from being professory y compared to the average professor, if you will. But again, this is for Entrepreneur Press, the same company that uh, distributes and publishes, produces Entrepreneur Magazine, and they know what their audience wants, And I sat on that feedback and said, you know what? This uh, is not the book right now. I am so in love with my own ideas, so in love with my own methodology. And what I need to do is scrap it and make something that is just insanely accessible for the first book out of the gate in this area. So with 45 days before my manuscripts due, I go to the editor and I said, I have this idea. You may think I'm crazy and I probably am, but I know I can get it done. I would like to scrap this idea of the communication book I was going to write, which was mainly communication and sales. And I instead want to present 20-something. I didn't know the number at that time. It turned out to be 27. I said, I want to present to you 20-something strategies across all different areas of business. So when someone picks up this book, no matter where they're at in their business or what stage of a challenge they're facing, they can open it up and find a strategy from a communication perspective to address it. And she said, I think you're insane, but in the best way possible, if you really think you can do it, you go girl, you know, you go do it. And sure enough, that's what happened. And so I looked at what I had existing. I got transcripts of every speech I had ever given related to anything that could be in the book. I pulled out, made an outline. And then every day I live right by Central Park in New York, I would go to the park. And instead of writing down at a computer at a desk, I would voice dictate a chapter a day into my phone and then come back and of course clean it up and that made it happen
1: That is so, so awesome. So I want to get into some of these strategies because I know that you have really positive and powerful stuff, but I don't have a pre-release copy of the book in front of me. Uh, I'll be waiting for mine, but I don't have one yet. You will get it. I'm just not eligible
2: to send it out just yet. (laughs) All
1: right. right, Well, I don't have a copy. So what I'm going to do is we're going to play the game of dynamic communication strategies, 27 strategies to grow, lead, (laughs) and manage your business. And I'm going to spin the wheel until a number stops and you're going to tell us about that strategy because we can't do all 27 because it's a half hour or so show. So here we go. <laughs> number one, what is the first dynamic communication strategy? I'm like, big money, big money, big money. I feel like I'm
2: the prices right wheel, you know? That's right. That's exactly right. What is, so what is tip number one? So tip number one is what you don't know can hurt you. Perceptions are reality. And what this chapter is about is really understanding before anyone ever has a face-to-face, a phone, a virtual, even an email exchange with you, they already have a major communication history with You in some way, shape, or form. And what I mean by that is their perception of you. We know that 87% of all people do research online before even sending that email or making that first phone call. That's number one. But what that means is not just your digital footprint, which is covered in this chapter and is important, but that potential consumer has perceptions about the business, either yours or the one you work for, the owner or the leadership, if that's you or if that's someone else. Any salespeople they've interacted with are seen tweets or any social media post online, other employees within the company, the product or service itself, the industry, and this is huge, the industry and even similar companies. So if someone's coming to your company for the first time, and let's say you are uh, Salesforce, for example, you're a CRM type system, you're a relationship management software. Well, when I come and have my first communication with you, I already have all that history that I've seen online, experiences from friends who may have used it. But also, if I have ever tried any other CRM in the past, let's say like ACT or contactually, those perceptions are actually influencing our interaction, but they clearly are not you, but they're in the consumer's mind. So it's really important to understand how all of those perceptions come together before you ever even communicate directly with someone.
1: Wow, that's, that's good stuff. So it just gets better from there. So the wheel goes around again. Number six, and I, the reason I picked number six is my lucky number, and it keeps showing up in my life all the time, is 66, but you don't have enough tips in your book. So I got to cut it right uh-huh. down the middle. So number six
2: number six oh my gosh lucky me six is my lucky number today too it's this is one of my I think favorite chapters that really to me lets me get my geek on from kind of a professor way but really apply it in a way that is in my opinion ridiculously relevant to business owners and I call it being open 24-7 panopticon style service so I'm going to geek out with y'all for just a minute the panopticon was designed originally as a way for a single manager to oversee a large workforce. And it evolved into a prison structure where you built an octagonal or more round prison structure with a centralized guard tower in the middle. The guard water would not be on duty from that center pillar, but the windows were mirrored so that he could see out but you couldn't see in. So as an inmate, you never knew if you were being watched or not, so that increased compliance and positive behavior. So I joke in the book, I explain this in the book, and I like to think they developed the model while drinking shots of vodka and putting them on the bar, you know, all these things. I try to make it fun and accessible, kind of like Drunk History. If you ever seen that show?
1: Love that show.
2: <laughs> it's so good. I tried to do that with academic theories in this book. That was kind of what I was thinking. And uh, with this, I turn it on its head that – your customers, whenever they make a purchase from you, they want to know that you have their back 24 7. They want to know that you're watching them and there to help them 24 7. So, within that chapter, I outline a number of different strategies that you can use to actually make that happen. Um, one of those, for example, is what you're doing immediately after someone clicks purchase. And that is an opportunity that so many people, I think, screw up. And a lot of times we think of sending these thank you emails instead of a welcome email, right? So thank you kind of signifies the end of something, whereas a welcome signifies the beginning of a relationship, a beginning of a partnership, of a community where you're going to be involved with them and on their journey while they're using your product. So that's one way to make them feel served 24-7
1: that is so awesome so uh, the next number i'm just going to pick one out of the blue here is 19
2: 19 i'm like i don't have them all memorized in the exact order but what? ooh i like i like them all like i'm <laughs> not even faking i was just say, are we making you, like ooh, are, we, are
1: we making you pick between your children here
2: It kind of is, but let's see. Chapter 19, All Hands on Deck, Effective and Efficient Meetings. And I tried to have fun with some of the titles too. The next one, my favorite title is uh, number 20 is Cyber Isn't a Dirty Word, Managing Virtual Teams. But I'll go back to chapter 19 here. (laughs) So let's see, all hands on deck. The biggest thing here, um, and the first tip that I give out, most of these chapters, most of these strategies have multiple tips, actually, that you can implement. But I firmly believe that in every meeting you ever run within your business, it needs to have a dual purpose. So you should always be thinking of running dual purpose meetings. And as a manager, that means you have the immediate purpose or reason for the meeting. So let's say you are meeting to strategize, you know, a new kickoff for a new marketing campaign, whatever that may be. But the dual purpose is tied into the bigger purpose in your organization, because research across the board shows, and even more so with millennial and beyond populations is that we need to be Constantly putting the bigger picture why in front of their faces, which is why every meeting has a dual purpose. So we are meeting here to discuss today's new Super Bowl marketing strategy because by creating an effective campaign, we're going to start a bigger conversation around the importance of eating healthy fats like avocados. And I use that example because avocados from Mexico is one of the people featured in the book. <laughs>
1: All right, so the last one I'm going to ask you about then has to be the last one.
2: Number oh 26. Oh my gosh. The last chapter. Well, the conclusion is really the last chapter, well, but number, number 26. 27. Oh, 27, sorry. Si- yeah. Six six steps for innovation, cultivating intrapreneurship. And in this chapter, I actually give you a six-step process that you can think of for ways to not only cultivate intrapreneurship within your organization, that's having your employees feel entrepreneurial power to bring ideas to the table. But what most companies I find when they want to try to encourage this lack is a formal structure to help employees better uh, present and pitch their ideas. So in this chapter, you get a six step process so that you can actually train your companies to come forward with ideas that are well thought out, well fleshed out, well developed, which is good because it encourages that processual thinking and the systems thinking on their part. But then it's also good for you as management, because then the only ideas that are coming forward to you are ones that have been thoroughly vetted.
1: That is so awesome. So in the conclusion, what do you tell everybody? How do you leave the book? What's the what's the last little tidbit you want to share with everybody who's listening?
2: The last thing is this. I call it the law of diminishing marginal motivation. It's like in economics, the law of diminishing marginal utility. If you're incredibly hungry and you grab, let's say, a cheeseburger, I like cheeseburgers, but maybe it's a veggie burger, who knows, whatever. You're hungry and you grab a burger. That first burger you eat is going to be so immensely satisfying. And maybe you're still a little bit hungry, so you get another burger. Well, that burger will be good, but not as good as the first one. And even bite by bite, it diminishes in its utility. The same thing goes, anytime you read a book, anytime you attend a speech, listen to a podcast, attend a training, whatever it is, the further and further you get away from the idea, I call it the law of diminishing marginal motivation, where you are less likely to actually implement something. So one of the things that I'm proud of with this book is anyone who purchases it gets access to a bonus site where they get 12 plus hours of interview content from the 27 people I put in the book, but you also get a workbook that will actually help guide you and help you implement the strategies and this book is meant not to necessarily be read from cover to cover in one sitting it's i have a problem let me look at which one of the eight areas of my business this problem fits in then let me look at those chapters to see which of those strategies is going to be best open it up and in 10 pages you can have an actionable strategy that fits your business's need at that point in time then put the back book on the shelf and grab it when you need it again
1: that sounds fantastic so it's dynamic communication twenty. Seven Strategies to Grow, Lead, and Manage Your Business. I think this is going to be a huge success, and I am so excited for you, Jill Shufflebein, that uh, you get to, to do this. And according to my notes here, this podcast, a lot of people don't listen the day it launches, but it will launch like two days after the book comes out, which means if you're hearing this in your ears right now, you can run to a bookstore, run online. Where's the book available? If somebody says, oh, my God, I have to buy her book right now, where do they go?
2: Well, The right now answer is Amazon, right? Where's the right now answer for everything? Amazon. But Mm -hmm. it's also going to be available at Barnes and Noble, a lot of different indie bookstores around the country. I'm so fortunate to be partnered with Entrepreneur Press. They've been amazing in spreading the word, putting me in their magazine, getting me on video, all that type of stuff. It's been great. But you can also go to dynamiccommunicationbook.com and click on one of the different vendors on there as well. And it will take you directly to the book page. That is so fantastic. And again, thank you for coming back and sharing this with the
1: audience here at Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do.
2: Thank you so much for having me again. And audience, if you didn't get to listen to the first episode, if you have questions about this one or the other ones, I'm everywhere at Dynamic Jill. So happy to answer them.
1: Dynamic Jill. That's where to find her all over the social media stratosphere. Hey, thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. I think this was a fun discussion. I'm going to start inviting more guests back because we can just have more dynamic communication because uh, they've already answered all the standard questions like the way I worked in the title of your book there, Jill. Uh, that was very good product right. placement. That I was appreciate very good. it. We can have dynamic <laughs> conversations, dynamic communication all the time. Hey, and please come back and listen to another episode. If this was your first time here, tune in, listen to another one. If uh, it's your uh, 244th time, keep coming back every Tuesday and Thursday. We've got more episodes coming. And if you want... Get involved with us on Facebook, on Twitter. You can even join the group coaching program. It's now called The Potential Project. Those of you who've listened for a while knows that it was known as the Cool Things Project. But what we found is everything we talk about is how to maximize more potential, and it sort of fits in with the paradox of potential workshop that I'm doing around the country now. And so we made the decision to change the group coaching program to The Potential Project, and all of us have potential that should be On our projects. So that's good. So I'm gonna be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Jill Scheffelbein. But in the
0: meantime, I'm gonna challenge you, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger.com.